Well, good morning and welcome. So as, a, as our custom has been established, I'm going to sound the, the gong and invite you to just drop into that deep sense of connection and being with your soul. And just watch the busyness settle, whether it be thought or emotions, energy, whatever it may be. Now let's make this moment a sacred moment in our silence. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to know with me as I speak in the first person, because the only thing that I can be sure of in this moment is what is alive within me. But I invite you to allow my words to be your words. So I affirm and know and recognize the one life, the perfect life, the life of God. And I claim that life is my own. That in that claiming I am lifted up, I'm expanded. There's an acceleration of aliveness within me that I feel in my heart and in my soul and at the depths of my being. And so I know when I just give thanks beforehand for a powerful and impactful Sunday and an impactful moment where the, that which is no longer required for my learning and growth and development is lovingly put aside to make space for something more alive and possible, creative. And so I just give thanks knowing that something powerful is alive for each and every one of us. I see it in the, I see the face of God in each one I greet this day. I stand in the unconditional love, devoid of fear and doubt and anxiety and worry, but to know that something beautiful is finding its home within me. For this I give thanks, knowing it can be true for you as well. All that that requires is a yes and an agreement. And so with this I give thanks, invite you to say with me, and so it is. All righty, here we are. Okay, you know I forgot this at the first service, but every service is different, as you know. So I'm gonna invite you to stand up and find someone that you can interact with, someone that you can look into their eyes and, and have a short, brief conversation where we activate the two or more. So as you find someone and say good morning, thank you for being here. Thank you for being alive on the planet at this time. 
I see you in there. God's presence. You have gifts to share. You have love to share. You have power to reveal. And you have potential to fulfill. Thank you so much. You can give them a hug if you feel so inclined. All right. The two or more. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So today it's a, a wonderful day. We're honoring youth today. And this is a beautiful tradition that uh, our beautiful Alicia Cloutier, Parcels Cloutier? Cloutier Parcels. I, I don't know, but I'll... Lucia Parcels, uh, suggested to me, and I thought, what a wonderful idea, because we have all these beautiful youth programs, and we're going to bring them out at the end of our service, and we're going we're gonna to love them up in a very sweet and simple way. Uh, so I look forward to that, and we did it at the first service as well. But we're honoring youth today. And so in celebrating youth, I took a look at the section in the Science of Mind textbook titled, From the Teachings of Jesus. In the back 200 pages of the book, I don't know if you know it or not, but it's there. And uh, it's quite beautiful. It's here that Dr. Holmes our founder expands upon Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Matthew says we must become as little children. I think we've all heard that in one way or another over the, over the years. We must become as little children. And then Dr. Holmes expands on it. He says, how we long for that simple trust in life which children have. In their mind, there's no doubts. They have not yet been told that they're sinners that they are destitute of divine guidance and spiritual life. The life of the child is lived in natural goodness, and God's nature is natural goodness. The prison walls of false experience soon build themselves into barriers, shutting out the light, and the child grows into a man or a woman, often losing their sense of that inner guide that leads their footsteps aright. Now, that last piece can be a little bit hard to swallow if we think about it. When Holmes says, the prison walls of false experience soon build themselves into barriers, shutting out the light, and the child grows into a man or woman, often loosing their sense of that inner guide, leading their footsteps aright. He's just stating the obvious for many adults, that we grow up and it's easy to lose hope. Anybody here ever lost hope? Yeah. But I mean, this, this is part of the human condition. But it's easy, it's easy to do that at times. But having children or having children around us can also remind us of that childlike quality within us. And our opportunity is, is bigger than that, but, but that is so potent. So I want to talk about two important qualities today of children. One is curiosity and the other is imagination. And the two qualities that further, beyond those that lead to, a, the, to the Two of the divine teachings, the principles beyond that and deeper are optimism and oneness, which I'll, I'll end the, the talk with today. Okay, so a little bit of background here. Dr. Ernest Holmes was born in Lincoln, Maine, January 21st, 1887, and he was born to a poor family. So there's three important things, I think, that really helped nurture what propelled him on his journey to understand life at a deeper level, to understand God, and to develop this beautiful teaching, the science of mind and truth. The first one was that as a young boy, he was the ninth son of what were to be nine boys in the family. And his trademark 
became within the family, they called him the human question mark because he was constantly asking why. Now, if you, I can only imagine that household with eight older brothers and this little guy comes along that is constantly asking why nonstop. And so he, when he encountered something new or, or something unfamiliar, he asked why. He wanted to know why. He wanted to know why constantly. So the family got used to that. And I, I'm sure sometimes he probably didn't get the answer he was looking for, <laughs> knowing how families work. In the second instance, in, in the Holmes family, Mother Holmes, that, that they referred to uh, mom as Mother Holmes, nurtured all of her sons. All nine sons were impressed upon the idea that there is nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. So your fellow man, life, the world, God, nothing to fear. And I believe that this really inspired with Ernest, impressed upon him this, this, so his curiosity wasn't dampened by the idea that to ask or to inquire or to look deeply could, could be a threat. He just, he just wanted to understand. And I think it nurtured his endless urge to learn and to grow. We are lifelong learners in our tradition. Holmes, you know, open at the top. And the third one, was in number three, was Ernest was a, as a boy. He tells a story of coming home from church with his father. They went every week. And he tells a story. They, they went and heard a minister speak one Sunday. And, and their father was very quiet on the ride home. Usually they would talk about the sermon and they would talk about their experience. And So the nine boys are in the back of a wagon, a horse-drawn wagon. And Mother Holmes and Father Holmes are up in the front in the, in the buckboard seat there. And he said his father finally pulled the wagon off to the side of the path. They were on a, a dirt road, dirt path. And he walked back to the boys, and he looked at them. He looked each one in the eye, and he said, Boys, that minister that we listened to today, good man. He's a good, good man, and he means well. But he said there were some things he said today that aren't true. And so I just want to clear this up with you. He said, When the minister said that we are nothing but worms in the earth and that we will suffer, suffer God's wrath, that there's something flawed within each and every one of us that needs to be punished in some way. He said, that's not true. He said, boys, I'm here to tell you, you are God's. You are the individualized expression of God. There's one God, there's one life, and that life is our life. And so, from a very early age, he was tripwired for curiosity. Why? He was nurtured in an environment that refused to support the idea of fear. They didn't have to give any energy to that. I'll share some other things with you today. That's, it's throughout his writing. And of course, his own connection, all of our connection, the divinity that lives within each and every one of us. Which helped him, you know, it helps Ernest in his curiosity to, to, to learn and lead into amazing things. Curiosity will take us into amazing things, possibilities. He went on to create the great thing based on the teachings of Jesus, which the last 200 pages, it's right there, but also the other traditions to honor it and to hold, hold it, not either or, but both and. Look at the truth here and the truth here. The, the truths are the same. It, brilliant in his perception at the time he came along, Remarkable. And he, and he founded this incredible organization that is working at, at this point in time for a world that works for everyone. And that's a big task. But it's what we stand for. Another real world example of what curiosity can do and can result in is, is uh, JFK, President Kennedy. He activated a nation's curiosity. 
Stick them with the curiosity. A nation's curiosity by addressing the race to the moon. And if you look at the profound work that came out of that and the profound speeches. So in, in, in September 12th of 1962, he was at Rice University and he said this to the world. He said, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do other things. Not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we're unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win, and others too. All because of curiosity, the power of curiosity. Can we do this? Could it be done? And to challenge the best minds, the talented people of the day, this commitment, this clear intention mobilized an entire generation of engineers, of designers, of creative thinkers to think differently, to act differently, to create differently. This curiosity further spurred their imagination and their creative capacities. And we see the movies now that reflect that. We didn't have the technology to get to the moon when he made that declaration. They have a lot of the stuff that had to be developed and created. Curiosity. And so this also piggybacks onto the second quality. Curiosity will move into imagination now. It celebrates imaginations, clearly celebrates youth. So let's start with an Ernest Holmes quote that I think reflects it so beautifully. Ernest Holmes said, Life is infinite energy coupled with limitless creative imagination. Infinite energy coupled with limitless creative imagination. It is the invisible essence and substance of every visible form. Its nature is goodness, truth, wisdom, and beauty. As well as energy and imagination. Our highest satisfaction comes from a sense of conscious union with this invisible life. All human endeavor is an attempt to get back to first principles. In Holmes' case, my life God's life or one life. To find such an inward wholeness that all sense of fear, doubt, and uncertainty vanishes. Right there. You got fear going on? Vanish it. Vanish it. Doubt? Uncertainty? Remarkable. Another really good example of this childhood imagination what it can do is the World Peace Game. So I want to bring the World Peace Game alive for you. Now the World Peace Game is such a great example of, of imagination. And it was founded by a teacher, John Hunter. And John Hunter was, was given the, the task of working with gifted grade four students in the United States. And so what he did is he brought in, he, he didn't realize at the time, he said we didn't have interactive, but he brought in a four-foot by four-foot sheet of plywood with a map of Africa on it. And they put all the world's problems on it. And they had the students start to discuss the world problems. How do we solve these things? It began there in 1978. It has morphed into today what looks like a four-foot by four-foot by four-foot structure made out of plexiglass. And there's four levels, and they're open. You can reach into it, but the, it stands four feet high, and it's got four levels of plexiglass. And the top level of this structure is outer space. It has black holes, it has asteroids, it has satellites, it has communication satellites, just like the real world. 
And then the next level down is, is the air and space level. It has clouds, it has air forces, it has territorial uh, air spaces that they have to agree to, the different countries, because at the next level, there's, there's four countries at that ground level. And at the ground level, the students name the countries. They're given the opportunity to name these countries. The countries have different qualities. They have different ways of, of governing. They have different military strengths. Uh, some are poor, some are rich. And then there's an undersea level. And each of those four countries has a president or a prime minister. They call them prime ministers in this example. But they have someone that's in charge. And the way that is done is that based on the relationship with the, the, the teacher, John Hunter, he has a conversation. Based on that, he will invite various students at different times to step into that role. And then it is their opportunity to create their cabinet. And so they have, uh, they have secretaries of state, they have ministers of defense, they have chief financial officers, they have controllers. They build this whole cabinet. They have, these countries have different resources. They have um, world banks, they have arms dealers, they have the United Nations, and they also have a weather goddess who controls random weather patterns and the random stock market. So that's one of the roles that people take on, and the, kid, the students self-select around all this. He, he, he makes none of the decisions once the, the prime minister or president is in, in place. And they have ethnic and minority tensions, they have chemical and nuclear proliferation, they have oil spills, they have environmental disasters, water right disputes. Sounds like the real world, doesn't it? And so what they're doing is they're bringing all this to the imagination. All of a sudden, how do, it's not about, oh, what was us, it's about how can we use our imagination to bring a new idea, a bigger idea to this, a possibility to this. Each game also has a saboteur. And someone that's working, that that's works silently to, to uh, introduce information that's incorrect, that may take everything off um, the rails, but also has the purpose in their motivation for the best for the world, thinking they know the right answer. But they work that way, and what that does is it forces the other students to think more deeply and to question all the information. Is this true? So quite fascinating, the complexities of it. They have, they have 13-page crisis document with 50 interlocking problems. And so if some, one thing goes wrong, everything goes wrong. And they get to step up and they use their imagination and their curiosity, their capacities to think in new and deeper ways. Because what they're asked to do is to think in long-term solutions. How will this impact this country? How will it impact the other countries? At times they develop their own peace coalitions between the nations. They're just because it's very fluid. And the students come up with this stuff. The resolution. They've also solved global warming. In the information I read, they said, if, if Al Gore would like to come here and spend a week with my grade four students, we've solved it many times within a week. Isn't it fascinating when, you, when, when failure is not an option? They use the book, The Art of War by Suzu. And so what they, they study there is how to wage war and how to use force and all these things for resolution. And they don't, they don't use it then to use it as a strategy, but when they understand it better, they can keep from moving in that direction. So they don't just eliminate it, but they want to know more about it so they don't fall into that trap and they don't go down that path. So their, their imagination stays open. So there's tremendous levels of learning here that stimulate that imagination. They learn to use their imagination to think in long-term consequential ways. They are taught basically, so what's the point of all this? They're taught to care for the world. They're taught to care for the world. Mr. Hunter goes up to his students 
throughout this whole process, and he, he says to them sincerely from his heart, I am so sorry that we've created so many of these problems. My generation didn't do as well as we could have, and some of them exist. And so my hope and my longing is that you will be able to use your curiosity and your imagination and your thinking and your compassion to help solve these problems. He's in very high trust with these students, and they are very much in service to the, the, to the ideal. He tells the students that it's their opportunity because what you are doing, what your opportunity is, is you are solving many problems that most of the people in the world will tell you are unsolvable. I mean, you talk about an impactful teacher. So these solutions that are discovered in the game is an example of what Dr. Holmes expressed. To a T, I believe, life is infinite energy coupled with limitless creative imagination. Life is infinite energy coupled with limitless creative imagination. There is one mind that is available to each of us at all times. It only requires our cooperation, our invitation, and our awareness. That's that I'm going, returning back to what we were. Holmes says this. He says, we must return the way we came. We must return the way we came. As little children who know that life is good and to be trusted. Man. Life is good and to be trusted. We are to approach our problems as if they were not. Approaching them in this manner, they will vanish. They stay in place because we hold them in place. Let not the materialist deny us this right, nor the unbelieving cast any reflection of his blindness before our eyes. There is a wisdom and a power not of the flesh which springs perennially from this inner life, all-powerful and all-wise. I think we've all had glimpses of it, but to live more and more in that. So now I want to talk about those two qualities I mentioned earlier, curiosity and imagination. We've talked about those, but if we look a little deeper at the next two, that are illustrated, there are, there are two other themes that I think are really worthwhile to look at. Optimism and oneness. Optimism. You can see the optimism coming through the examples of Ernest Holmes, what he was nurtured in, mentored in. As a child and his curiosity, his lack of fear, his sense of connection with the infinite spurring the creation of the science of mind teaching. John Francis Kennedy, we will go to the moon We'll go to the moon in this decade, mobilizing and inspiring a nation that a huge feat that had never been done could be done. And then, of course, the grade four students turning uncertainty into hope and possibility for our future. So if you see the themes of one, and you see the themes of oneness through the examples of Ernest Holmes, eventually through the science of mind teaching that he created, creating an international organization and a mission for a world that works for everyone. John Francis Kennedy in the race to the moon, bringing an entire nation together, and the kids in this beautiful world peace game, this world peace game, this four by four by four cosmos of the world to help solve those problems, to think at a different level, to use their imagination, to use their curiosity, to use their gifts, and to reveal them. So to conclude, this oneness, oneness is truly the cornerstone of the spiritual path. Everywhere you read, if you read at depth, it's oneness, the oneness of life, of God. 
But the, the challenge is, is that many are not even, don't even consider oneness as a possibility. Or they cannot look at it because they think that to move our hearts and minds towards oneness will in some way take something away from us. It'll diminish us. Especially in the West. Very, very, very connected to our identities. And so, seen from the examples of Dr. Holmes, from John Francis Kennedy and John Hunter, the exact opposite is true. It is actually a fantasy that we will somehow lose part of ourselves in union with the whole. It's not true. It's not. But it's a tough step for us when we've spent so much time creating an identity and creating a life. I get it. It's the opposite. Our opportunity is to realize with love that to put our trust in humanity is always heartbreaking. It always is heartbreaking. Every story I listen to, it's, it doesn't work. So is that wrong? No. But we do it. But what the opportunity is around this is that when we stand, when we realize with love that to put our trust, uh, to put our trust in source, that we stand in oneness, stand in our godness, stand in the truth of our being, and trust source to develop that relationship. So what's before me right now? I've brought by right of consciousness, and I have everything I require to move through it. Everything comes for us. That's deep powerful teaching but it's what dr holmes talked about that inner guide being available to trust ourselves because the only life there is as dr holmes said is the life of god that that life is our life it is who we are and great things come through us when we stand in those qualities that childlike quality to return from where we came in trust to realize wait a minute i'm making up all these scary stories and I don't need to do that. What we stand for as a movement, as a teaching, as a community, are our truest and most transformed selves. Our truest and most transformed self. And it's a journey. It's a bit by bit, choosing day by day. To do what we can and to nurture the genius the geniuses that are coming behind us as we celebrate youth today and support them that they are drafting in our wake of consciousness and to use wisdom and clarity to speak to them and say to them honestly to fess up, hey gang, kids we've left you a bit of a mess there's a lot of problems looks like we're running out of stuff looks like we're always going to be fighting but maybe not Maybe there's a way through this. Maybe it's possible to have a world that works for everyone. To continue to activate and support them in their curiosity to learn more. To activate their imagination. To live in the possibility, the optimism, and the oneness. Oneness, when we understand oneness, see, we don't lose anything when we step into oneness. We discover more of ourselves. But it's such a foreign experience. Why would I want to step there? But it's, it enhances us. It doesn't take anything away. To continue to be transformed at the level of the heart, at the level of the mind, at the level of the body. And discovering the joy of putting love in action. To teach and live from love. Love in action. And we don't have to, don't have to solve it all in one afternoon. Where can I be more loving? This day, this moment. 
That oneness can return us to the, the qualities that Dr. Holmes talked about, to return from where we came and to embody and to once again welcome and bring alive the qualities of a child. It is our opportunity as we honor our youth today, we honor our teaching, we honor the curiosity, we honor the imagination, the optimism, and the oneness. Blessings. Thank you so much.